Welcome to the QB Guys Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Dram. I am a comedian, I am a book lover, and I have a podcast. <laughs> Guys, if you're just tuning in for the first time, we're reading Murakami's uh, Kafka on the Shore. We'll be reading this in five parts, ten chapters per part. So, this podcast has been going for about a year. We started as I Hate Infinite Jest, which is a takedown of obviously, Infinite Jest. Since then, we moved on to different topics. We've done some books here and there. We did uh, Thomas Pinchon's The Crying of Lot 49. We did a few episodes on the Bible. Did a week, did an episode last week on Earth Abides. So again, if you're just tuning in, the whole idea is, you know, just funny people reading along a book that you may like. Maybe you're reading it for the first time and reading it with us, and we're just kind of flapping our gums here and there about that. So if this is your first time, Hope you guys enjoy. Hope you, you know, share, like, subscribe. I'd appreciate it very much. <laughs> um, you can follow me at all the things at Jesse Dram. That's on TikTok. That's on Reddit. That's on Facebook. That's on Twitter. It was on Parlor for a few weeks, and then that stopped being fun, fucking people. <laughs> so, yeah. So, check it out. My guest this week is Seamus Millar. He is hilarious. If you live in the Philadelphia area, you can find him at... He- Helium or Punchline? He mentions it in here. Point is, in Philadelphia, he has comedy shows April 15th to April 17th. He was the one who turned me on to Murakami and Kafka by the Shore. This is my first time reading any of Murakami. I was completely ignorant to him before this. So, obviously, this podcast started with I Hate Infinite Jest. Came in with a very critical view. I can't say I hate this so far. This This isn't a hate read. I'm enjoying Kafka on the Shore quite a bit. I think I've only read a chapter beyond where we are in this particular episode, and uh, I kind of give away what happens in that chapter. All right, guys, no more flapping the gums. Again, I hate Infinite Jest. Follow Seamus at Shambles Murph. Go watch him do comedy. Come see me do comedy. I'll be at uh, Comedy on the Crick in Ben Salem, Pennsylvania on April 17th. It's Saturday night. I think the show starts at 7.30. So check me out, and I hope you guys follow. Hey, if you hear this episode, and you, I still have two slots I need to fill for this show. It has been deceptively hard. finding. When I look up Kafka on the shore looking for guests, I am mostly finding people who are huge fans of the K-pop band BTS, which if I could get one, is is it the one with the blue hair? I'll have him on the show. Can I get him on? Somebody get me in touch with Blue Hair BTS. All right. Kafka on the Shore, part one, chapters one through ten. See you. All right. Here we are on the Kill Your Gods podcast for the start of a new series by, I swear to God, you know what's fucked up? I keep forgetting the author's first name. Hideki? Haruki. 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 Haruki Murakami's Kafka on the shore and joining us uh, this episode will be chapters one through ten and joining me for this first edition of kafka on the shore your friend of mine he's been on a few episodes before seamus millar hey thanks for having me back i'm very excited to be here hell yeah so yeah you actually turned me on to murakami oh, oh hold on hold on let's do this right <laughs> what's your social media what do you have to promote Oh, okay. Uh, April 15th through the 17th, I'll be hosting for Vicky Barbalak at Punchline Philly. Um, come check that out. Uh, I'm also on the 18th hosting Jake Matera's album recording at Helium. So come hang out. I got four days of comedy and then who the hell knows what else is going to happen after that. Probably nothing for a very long time. But uh, that's that's all I got. And my social media, uh, it's Shambles Murph on Instagram. That's That's all. Gotcha. Yeah, real quick, is there any way you could turn your microphone down like a pinch? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, but I just didn't know if you could or not. It's it's something I would definitely have been able to fix in post, but if it's something we could fix right I now. I am just using my uh, speaker. All right. Let's see if I can do that. All right. No, we're fine then. It's no big. I'll just speak. I'll speak a little bit quieter. Yes. Okay. Is it, stop yelling. Automatically Shannon. adjust microphone volume. Okay. I click that. Let's see how that goes. It sounds fine. Like I said, it's uh, I'll I'll be able to edit if absolutely because I uh, record this on separate channels. Anyway, the listener doesn't give a shit. I'm also so. going to try to not laugh. I listened back to the episode I was on last time and I laughed so incessantly that it fucking annoyed me. So I love your laugh. <laughs> there yeah, it is. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you uh, have been getting more and more into books. Remind me, how many did you read last year? 
Uh, I read 20 last year, which uh, might not be a lot to some, but to me was the most I'd ever read in my adult life. And um, as of now for this year, I, I was trying to hit 30. I'm already on book 10. So I think I'm making a good pace. Nice. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good as well. I tour through. Uh, I'm actually really lucky that my girl uses the library much more. I'm just used to being a fucking sucker and buying them cheap. She uses the library. I read a whole book on the Riot Girl movement that I liked a lot. Well, I don't even know what the Riot Girl movement is. Riot Girl movement was pretty much at the same time as grunge. There was like this punk rock, like chick third wave feminist, like fuck you dudes. Like, you know, when we do shows, we want the girls to stand up at the front and, you know, guys who mm. stand at the back and shit. I would have probably absolutely hated at the time, but <laughs> it's kind of, it's, it's so easy to get like snowflakes, but, but, but at the same time, like I've always respected like the black Panthers. I, I respect people to just like, nah, fuck you. We're doing it on our own. We don't need yeah, your permission. Yeah. Yeah, shout out to the black Israelites. Love you guys. <laughs> Somebody was just posting that apparently they're like really posted up at 15th and Gerard in Philly. Yeah, oh, they're, they're, they're the best. Shout out to fucking Yakub. He's the uh, the evil Our, scientist that created white people. So that's right. Father, as we call him. Yakub's father. <laughs> yeah, father. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know what sucks, man? I've been wanting to do like weirder stuff, not just art for the podcast, but the honest to God truth is every time I do the numbers dip a little more, I would love a fucking episode on like black Israelites. Uh, meow, meow, meow. So sorry. So sorry. My That's cat okay. is like a fucking, well, you know what? That actually leads into the yes, book. It does. Annoying ass cats. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, well, I'm not super uh, educated on the black Israelites, but uh, that would be fun. <laughs> a yeah. deep dive well, into I mean, that insanity. I, I also, I'm fascinated with like uh, the, the five percenters, which um, I forget which comic in Philly had it, but it, he had this hilarious joke because the whole idea with the five percenters is 90 percent of the earth is ignorant five percent are evil and the other five percent that we are are meant to tell people who the evil is and he oh, talked cool. about it. he's like oh yeah we've been together since the 60s so i called him up i tried to join he said yeah you guys are still the five percenters right he's like yeah still five the five percenters like you must fucking suck at your job you haven't brought awareness up you had 50 <laughs> fucking years but th this is so yeah laser guided joke for me but all anyway. those all those groups like flat earth and everything it's all just narcissism it's just wrapped up in like i'm the one who knows the secrets and i'll tell you the dumb people you know and it's like maybe we're all mm -hmm. just we're all just fucking stupid you just have to accept that everybody likes to have a secret and uh like you know 5g or fucking wires in the masks and shit like that nonsense yeah, I'm getting my uh, I'm getting my second Pfizer shot tomorrow. So uh, God bless. I can't wait to get Bell's palsy and have Bill Gates show up to my house. <laughs> yep, dude, I, I got both of mine. I'm waiting for the nanobots to kick in any day now. <laughs> yeah. So how'd you discover Murakami? Because you were honestly the first person to ever mention him to me. And I was shocked to find out how popular he was. Yeah, so that's the thing is like uh, last year when I was doing my deep dive into like what I should read, I found this series of videos on YouTube. It was like it's like uh, I think it's done by the same company that does like TED Talks. It was like mm. you know what what books should you read? And they had these they all have really cool art, and it was why you should read Kafka on the Shore. And I was like, oh, you know what? On what the hell? I'll order this book because uh, I was just kind of reading classics at that point. Like I'd done like To Kill a Mockingbird and that sort of stuff. And I was just like, yeah, I'll just, I'll, I'll read this. this. The video sold me on it because they were like, it sounds wacky and random. It sounds crazy. And it pretty much is. Um, but uh, I, I ordered it and I, I really, really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Now, I will say, having read another Murakami book, I read another one this year. I read um, uh, The Wind Up Bird Chronicle, which I actually enjoyed more than this book. Okay. Um I don't know if I want to keep reading any of his books because they all. <laughs> I've heard, I've heard there, there, there's a sameness to them. There is, there definitely is. Like I was reading uh, the wind up bird Chronicle and I was like, these, there's different scenarios happening here, but the themes are very similar and the sort of, you know, here's a wacky throwaway scene that I have that doesn't have any kind of significance other than I just wanted to throw this in here. I don't know. You'd be the judge. You know what I mean? And I don't know if you've gotten that far yet because I don't, I just, I was trying to, um, it's been a while since I've actually read this book. So I was trying to re-familiarize myself with the first 10 chapters. And I feel like they kind of play it pretty close to the vest, but this book right. does get fucking insane. Well, I mean, I, I will tell you so far, all I have read is the first 10 chapters and I started reading chapter 11 and I had no idea like, damn, I'm cutting Seamus off right before a great older woman hand job scene. 
Yeah. So the thing that um, the thing that I was I I saw another video on YouTube because there was a while where I was like I was kind of obsessed with it uh, because um, and this is before I realized that. I'm, I've, so the thing is, I feel like his fan base is very very passionate, but there are also people who uh, just as passionately hate this guy. <laughs> I feel like mm-hmm. um, I get the sense because um, I don't know. He he just he has. I don't know. It it does have the, the air of like baby's first philosophy book or baby's yeah. first like, you know, uh, experimental reality kind of uh, situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he does tend to have a lot of sex scenes. Uh, but I think I saw an interview with him or I watched a video where he was talking about how uh, sex in books is mostly used for titillation and mm-hmm. he wanted to use it to make people uncomfortable. I think so. I think, uh, and don't quote me on that, but, but his, all of his sex scenes, they're not hot. (laughs) They're gross, (laughs) you know? Yeah. There's no like, you know, heaving bosom. It was more like, you know, she started playing with my dick and I, (laughs) would you like me to do something? Well, maybe I was like, again, with the maybe he's like, yes, please. Yes, please. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I I, I can appreciate a polite hand job. No hand jobs anymore. All right. This guy is too old for hand jobs. He's he's run away from home. You gotta you gotta go knee deep. Yeah, that's right. No, he's 15. He need, he needs to go straight to like sucking dick for like alcohol. Right <laughs> yeah, away. yeah, yeah. He's a runaway. He's, he's a, runaway. a runaway now. Come on. Oh <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. God. I'm sure I'm sure actual runaways who have read this book have been probably like, oh yeah, you know, cute older girl on the bus takes you in. That's how that works. Not perverted businessman says, that, <laughs> yeah. I'll put a roof over your head if I could rent your asshole for a night. <laughs> you know what's funny? Uh, just the other day, I was explaining to a comic. Do you know the legend of Uncle Eddie Savitz in no. Philly? How does that? Okay. Uncle Eddie was a businessman who lived in Rittenhouse Square. And if you were like a young teen metalhead boy in the 80s, everybody knew if you wanted money, there's this weird fucking businessman in Rittenhouse Square that will pay you to shit into like pizza boxes. And he he just had boxes and boxes in his, in his place just filled with like used boys underwear and shit. And then after he died, it came out. Oh, he gave everyone AIDS too. But you know what? I don't know if this is the same guy, but I remember this. You just reminded me of this. I remember one time I was uh, in Rittenhouse Square with my buddy, and this guy came up and was like, "Hey, do you guys want to see some tits?" And we were both <laughs> we were both like really high at the time. We were like, "I mean, yeah, sure, let's see where this goes." And he pulls out these fucking Polaroids that he took of this the the fattest chick you've ever seen. <laughs> naked on a tractor he like took shots of her on this tractor and was like yeah i'm fucking her and we were like all right man rock on and then we left and i was like what the fuck was that what was that definitely not related for those of you not in the philadelphia area rittenhouse is like a very hoity-toity area like surrounded by a giant park but like weird shit goes down there that exact scene of that guy coming up and saying you want to see some tits is could be straight out of a Murakami book, I feel like, because there's a, there's a lot of these scenes where you're like, what is happening? This, this just kind of came out of left field. Yeah. I'm excited for you to finish this book. I can't wait to talk to you when you've gotten to the end. I know we're, I, I want to talk about the first 10 chapters with you, but there's some shit that I remembered when I was refamiliarizing myself with this that I was like, holy fuck. Yeah, Jesse's gonna, Jesse's gonna have some opinions. Okay, okay. Maybe I'll bring you back for the last episode. But... That would be great, yeah. All right, so now's the time to jump back in. If you guys know the format, just interrupt me whenever the fuck you want. Unlike other books I've done, this one has a very, like, God, I uh, Infinite Jest has made me appreciate chapter breaks so much. Yeah. Just like nice, succinct, like, and you can stop thinking at this section. <laughs> okay. We start off with a boy named Crow. We will not find out who Crow is just yet. Uh, 15-year-old Kafka Tamora, Kafka is not his real name, who is preparing to run away from home, sits in his father's study with the boy called Crow. Kafka is nervous. Crow advises him to be tough and strong and make sure he has taken enough money to survive, at least for a while. Crow warns Kafka that he will have to weather a storm, a storm he will not be able to outrun because it is within Kafka himself. Kafka predicts that he will run away from home and become a different person. So right away, it seems Crow is in his own head. I don't need you to confirm or deny. That's just where I am right now. There does not seem to actually be a Crow. 
uh you might be on to something <laughs> okay okay uh so i just have a question here so he stole money from his dad seamus have you ever stolen anything valuable or interesting from your parents uh i don't know if my parents had anything valuable or interesting to steal i mean i grew up with just my mom in the house uh mm -hmm. my dad has stolen things from me though oddly enough <laughs> uh you know he stole in uh some of my inheritance my rights no uh when my <laughs> When my grandmother died, I, he was like, do you want anything from her house? And there were literally two things I wanted. And both things, after I said that I want them, he was like, I'm just going to keep them until I die. And I was like, okay, that's a little fucked up. Uh, <laughs> it was a stupid, it was a doorstop that was shaped like a dog that I always like liked. Okay. And then there was another thing that was a, it was a uh, an ashtray. It was a ceramic ashtray with a bear. And apparently... My dad did some digging after I was interested in those objects. And was like, oh, this is actually worth quite a bit of money. And I was like, well, I had no idea. I just wanted it for the sentimental value. But I guess I'm not going to see it until you kick the bucket, huh? Yeah. So, <laughs> dad, can I at least get a cut because I wanted those? Like, oh, no, 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 <laughs> yeah. no, 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 no. Yeah, because I had the eye for it, man. <laughs> yeah, all I could think of from my parents was I stole cigarettes from my mom. The first cigarette I ever smoked, I stole from my mom. They were Marlboro Light bullshit. But uh, yeah, and I think I stole some porn from my dad as a young boy. Oh yeah, like magazines kind of stuff. It was it was confusing, but I liked it. I will say this is very embarrassing. I just remembered. I I mean, I've stolen I've stolen whole containers of lotion from my mom when I was a teenager because I you know you can look like you were jerking off, so you would just sneak into her room, get some globs on, and dip out. <laughs> Over the course of years, though, man, I must have blown through. <laughs> A couple fucking cases of that shit. Oh god, it's it's crazy to think back now. Just like when you first start masturbating, and just like one day, like if your mother does your laundry, just one day there's jism on everything. <laughs> yeah, when you have to explain, like uh, I don't know why the sheets are stuck together. I guess I just I, I just woke up like that. That's the worst. The wet dreams when you got to be uh -huh. like. I, I I dropped the towel in soda. That's why it's so crunchy. And yeah. That chlorine soda I was drinking. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, chapter one, official. Kafka takes a cell phone, an old-fashioned lighter, and a small knife from his father's study. He also takes an old photo of himself and his older sister standing on the beach many years ago. The photo fills him with questions. He can't remember the trip to the beach or his mother or sister. Hoping not to stand out as a runaway, Kafka strategically packs a small backpack with clothes. He decides to head someplace warm so he won't need as many supplies. He has also spent years working out so he can be physically strong and appear older. He spends most of his time studying and reading alone, avoiding his father, and staying isolated from his peers. Kafka imagines deep in his body is a pool of dark water threatening to drown him at any moment. Kafka imagines a dangerous mechanism hidden within his DNA, an omen that he cannot escape. Hey, I have that mechanism. It's called alcoholism, and it kicked <laughs> yeah. in. Uh, Kafka decides to head from his home in Tokyo towards Takamatsu in Shokoku, western Japan. Even as he drifts off to sleep on the speeding bus, Kafka can feel the omen following him. And can I just also preface, just for the listeners, I know you just did your whole episode on anime being the worst shit ever. Yes. I am not I am not a Japanophile or whatever. I did not pick this book because I was like, oh, Japanese culture. It's so you, interesting. You mean you didn't see this book and have uh, cartoon hearts appear over your eyes? <laughs> yeah, yeah, ah! yeah, I read the jerk-off scene. I got a nosebleed immediately or whatever the fuck. <laughs> Oh, okay. Um, you know, it's funny. Despite me hating on anime, I actually do like a lot of Japanese shit. I like a lot of Japanese bands. Um, Japanese movies are fucking great. But. Yeah, I look. I I like I like Japanese stuff. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not like I'm not like a I'm not an anime or a Japanese guy. I'm not somebody who's like oh. I think they're called otaku's. Is that what they're called? Otaku's weebs. Yeah, okay, no, that's course. not me. That's okay. not me. A, a certain very close of my friend of mine who has been on the podcast before randomly I showed him oh I showed him uh Maki Ito the the wrestler the Japanese oh yeah, wrestler. yeah 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 and he's just watching this video and he just says man I just wish I found Asian women attractive oh just my like, god uh. like, like usually I think that's like the easy I, I don't know I don't get we could 
I kind of want to discuss that, but it, that's a whole can of worms, I guess. We're well, as somebody it, so. who has been dating his uh, first and only white girl, I'll tell you what, I I have had an affinity for Asians Ooh. in the past. What can I say? Wait, wait, I wasn't aware that your girl was like your first white girl. What? Yeah, well. What, what was your what, what was your palette before? It, it just clicked. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. I, I, I just dated a couple of girls that were vietnamese uh it just kind of happened and at one point one of them called me and i was like do you have an asian thing and i was like i don't know this kind of seems to keep happening but uh <laughs> you know i didn't really grow up around white people so for me it was like uh, mm. it took it took me a while this sounds crazy this really sounds crazy but um i grew up mostly around black kids uh and it took me a while to actually find white people attractive like there were years where i was just like i don't get it i don't get it <laughs> we're like big and gross <laughs> Yeah, no, you're not right. See, I always found it funny just because uh, people look at me and they just see like, you know, big fucking dumb white guy. And they were always shocked to find out like I dated like a quite a few black girls in there. Like they just the, the, the type of black girl that was into me were all like suburban metalhead girls. And they just they just love like the fucking Viking look. Just yeah, like I big light hair. Good times, good times. Uh, yeah, oh, but I mean, a range of a range of women I've been with. Not that many, but it's been a uh, you know, I've covered the rainbow. Okay, so there's eight colors in the rainbow, so at least eight. I'm making yeah. it up. I don't know, but I hope so. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh, so on the topic of this, uh, he's running away from home. Seamus, have you ever run away from home, or did you consider it? Ah, uh, I tried when I was a kid. I I made an attempt, which was I packed some shit. And then I got to the door and I couldn't figure out how to unlock it. Cause I didn't know where the keys were. And I was like, well, there we go. I guess I'm just, I I'm just fucking stuck here. There's no, where am I going to fucking go? So <laughs> it lasted all of 10 minutes. And I was like, ah, whatever. It's not the worst. I'll just go in my room. Aww. I, I remember I was really pissed off at something my stepdad did just cause when, when my little brother, it's hysterical how shit works out. When my little brother was born, it felt like my stepdad kind of turned against me and was just about his kid. And then years and years later, like in my mid twenties, I was having a drink with my aunt and just saying like, oh yeah, I remember thinking Kenny was mean to me at the time, but I guess that was just being a little kid. And she just stopped me. She said, Jess, he was a fucking asshole to you once your brother was born. <laughs> Oh yeah. You've told me that. You've told me that before. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Long-term vindication. Yeah. So did you try to run away? <laughs> he had made me mad. So what I did was I, I had written a, I am running <laughs> to whom it may concern parents. I am running away from home. And then I just like hid in the backyard for 20 minutes. And then, mm-hmm. and then, and then they found me and I got grounded and I got my ass smacked at least once or twice. So mm, gotcha. Gotcha. So didn't make it too far. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Not many people I know have. <laughs> um, Okay, so, uh, you know what? This just gave me a horrible thing. Do you did you ever see the Soul Asylum video, Runaway Train? No. So that video has a bunch of like missing runaway teens thing in it. Like it pops up and it shows actual children who have run away and haven't been found. Uh, apparently, years and years later, the lead singer was playing a show and a girl came up to him and said, "I was one of the girls in your video." That was how my family found me he said oh so glad to help and she said like actually no i was in a really abusive home i shouldn't have been there that's why i ran away but oh and now i'm here to kill you yes now now i'm here to kill you (laughs) never going back (laughs) Uh, if, if there's one thing i eternally find funny across the board it is best intentions blowing up in people's faces oh yeah it's great it is really great that's yeah i've I, I've really learned. My mom does that all the time, where she she just like she inserts herself in people's business, and it's totally well intentioned. But I'm like, you're gonna get punched in the face one of these days, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm gonna. You hate to see it, <laughs> but you know, doesn't mean it you didn't deserve it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, uh, chapter two. Um, I already like the structure of this because it feels like at least for this first chunk, it goes like on and off, being about Kafka and then being about this incident and uh, the other character and they're not yeah. connected as of yet it does it flips it flips every other chapter is i think uh either told from a different perspective or it's a flashback to this period of time all right, all right. so this chapter takes the form of a declassified u.s army document from world war ii the mysterious rice bowl hill incident of 1944 notes say the school teacher setsuko akamochi uh seems intelligent and responsible but still traumatized by the incident so Setsuko says on the morning of the incident, she took her students out to uh, 
race pole hill and they notice a bright silver flash across the sky thinking it was a b-29 or some army plane according to records there were no u.s airplanes in the region at the time uh we find out the teacher's husband was killed during the war on the morning of the incident she led a group of children uh to gather mushrooms on the hill soon after setsuko and the children stopped to pick mushrooms the children began to collapse they seemed to go unconscious, but their eyes continued to look around, almost as if a part of their minds were still awake, even though their bodies remained limp. She noticed nothing unusual that had caused this. Setsuko ran down the hill in search of help. Okay. Uh, have you ever slept locked? Slept actually, locked? Sleepwalked? Actually, yes, I have. Actually, yes, I have. It's been a very long time, but uh, I was consistently doing it for a while when I was uh, uh, in high school and when I was a young kid. Um, Apparently I got out. So look, maybe I did run away because one time I apparently <laughs> I got I got outside of the house when I was like four uh, because I was just waking up in the middle of the night and like booking it, I guess, uh, which is kind of terrifying. And I yeah. really hope that if I have kids, I don't have to deal with that. The other time was um, in high school. I remember I had this algebra teacher. Uh, shout out to Mr. Krasenstein. Hope you're fucking dead. Um, what up, Mr. Krasenstein? Fuck you. Yeah, he was a real piece of shit, dude. I, he was a real fucking slimy motherfucker. And he was the first class I ever had in high school. And he, he came in the first day and he sat down and he goes, look to your left. Now look to your right. And he was like trying to do like a movie thing. And he was like, yeah. half of the people in this class will fail my class. And I was like, all right, if half of the people in your fucking entry level algebra class fail the <laughs> class, it's probably your fucking fault. You're a bad teacher. Yeah. He like he was like, oh well, you're not prepared for my class. I'm too elite. Like this kind of shit. Like he, like oh oh, I'm sorry. I, I so you're gonna punish me from going to, for going to a shitty fucking grade school? Fuck yeah. you. So anyway, he stressed me out so bad that I was sleepwalking, and it was uh, it wasn't. It wasn't super creepy. I mean, it is kind of creepy. I mean, any kind of sleepwalking is creepy. Mm -hmm. But apparently what I was doing was I was going downstairs and sitting in the chair as if I were watching TV, but there was nothing on. Just like sitting there. Wow, and my mom was like creepy kid shit. Ah, yeah. Well, look, shout out, shout out to all my creepy kids. You know what, man? It, that, that shit was terrible. I, mean, I don't know. At the time when you're like 13, 14, and there's this fucking grown adult putting his whole fucking basically what he was doing is that dude definitely got beat up in fucking high school and oh, he yeah. was like time to take it back revenge of the nerds i'm the smartest guy in the room and it's it's embarrassing and i'm still mad about it as you can tell oh, yeah. no, dude i had i had a teacher like that fucking mr skibby may he rot in hell if you went to school in south jersey uh just like why did you ever get involved in children unless you're a fucking sadist like mm -hmm. I remember he asked me a question once I didn't remember and I like shrugged my shoulders like I don't know but he thought shrugging my shoulders meant I don't care and he did a yeah. whole fucking thing there was a kid in our class who at Chris Chris Brennan who he had a lateral lisp so he talked like this and he had to read from the book out loud to the class one day and he's doing that and Mr. Skibby how long have you had this speech impediment like just like Everyone's like shit that like oh no if his dad came down to the school and kicked you in your fat tits yeah everybody would be fine with it oh dude i had to have my, my dad did that a couple times he did that with this guy because my dad's like he's like a lawyer and uh -huh. he's not i wouldn't necessarily classify him as like you know uh the definition of a tough guy but he can fucking he can fucking shoulder up and square up on some people when he has to and i remember he went in and he, i think it was like some teacher fucking it was like some parent teacher conference and my dad said to mr Christ's side he was like you're a fucking pussy <laughs> <laughs> oh god yeah it's dude, when i have kids i do it, it it's tricky because there's a balance because you hear shit like you know the parents that always want to start shit with their with their teachers with the kids teachers when like they're not doing good but also at the same time like this teachers that need to be put in a fucking place you know yeah yeah like, i had a, i had another guy who was our just our homeroom teacher which means he didn't even fucking teach us anything we just sat there before we got sorted into our various classes and he pulled some shit one time where he would always talk shit on everybody and how we weren't going to be successful. We weren't going to go anywhere. We weren't going to do anything. And then one time he was like, uh, Oh, I know you all got your report cards. Uh, the principal asked that I collect your report cards again, because I think what his scam was, was he was collecting all of our report cards so that he could have more fucking ammo to shit talk us in the uh. mornings. 
And my dad came in again, my dad to the rescue, I guess. Nice. He came in and he was like, where's that report card? And he was like, I, the principal asked me to keep them. And he was like, that's bullshit. And he was like, he was like, no, no, he asked me to keep them. He's like, it's in your desk. Give it to me. And he like made him take the report card out. That was hilarious. And, I, and like, the thing is like, I'm such a nice guy that it always made me cringe when my dad would do this sort of stuff. Cause like, uh-huh. I'm the type of person, like, I don't know, especially when I was a kid, maybe not now, but like, I'm almost like, no, it's fine. It's fine. I'm like the Jewish mother of no, no, it's, kids. It's, it's fine. I'm not going to amount to anything. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's all right. No, he could say that. That doesn't mean it's true. That doesn't whatever, mean it's true. Whatever you say, Mr. Authority figure. Not <laughs> yeah. My my dad was one of those where I was getting picked on a little bit. And it was always by like kids older than me because I was always like big. But uh, I, I, I got, it was that zero tolerance bullshit where like they were starting shit with me, pushing me. So I punched one of them. We both got in trouble. So my dad came into the principal's office and straight up said like, you know, like, yeah, he's, he's not punished. And if you don't stop this fucking kid, I, I, as far as I'm concerned, he did the right thing. He is to punch this kid in the face. Anytime he gives him trouble. Fuck you. Bye. <laughs> That's awesome. That's okay. awesome, man. So chapter three. Uh, Kafka awakens as his bus pulls off the highway into a rest area. As he's sipping some tea in the cafeteria, a talkative girl from the bus sits down with him. She asks if she can sit with Kafka on the bus, and he agrees. Again, real runaways ever, uh, everywhere, just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. cute girl, I just wanted to come <laughs> yeah. sit on your lap. Uh, things that never happened for a thousand. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> also, can I just say, I was thinking uh, during the World War II chapter, I wanted to mention that like my, my grandfather, uh, he fought, he was on Iwo Jima, actually during world war ii and just again not a weeb i want to keep making this distinction because it's almost i know this is so stupid but i almost have a guilt like i've read uh i read the uh the wind up bird chronicle and i also read a book called snow country by a different japanese author and i almost get this weird it's so stupid but i get this like guilt feeling almost because i'm like my grandfather would hate this my grandfather <laughs> would hate the fact that i love pokemon growing up you know what i mean like anything fucking japanese it was like a big no-no uh for oh, my grandparents God. growing up i could just so, see your grandpa watching pokemon just getting like ptsd like I, yeah, yeah just pikachu charging over a hill with a bayonet <laughs> yeah well i'm trying to do i'm trying to do a bit about it at some point about how like my my fa- my dad was talking about uh when he turned 30 everyone in his generation bought G. I. Joe's and now there's like now that I'm turning 30 there's like a surge on Pokemon cards and I'm like it's not the same thing though they were playing with war veterans I'm playing with like gay Japanese monsters like you know it's not the same thing they're like this guy has PTSD I'm like well this is a fucking fire breathing dragon rat like you know what I mean yeah. like it's stupid this right here is Charlie Watts Charlie lost his foot and his wife left him and he came back to a country that spat on him like that's okay I have Blastoise <laughs> yeah. yeah he's a turtle with guns on his back yeah. it's, it's literally blastoise spitting water at a veteran <laughs> yeah. baby killer baby killer <laughs> oh jesus so i'm sorry that was totally derailing there but but let's uh so yeah this girl comes and sits next to him uh i don't know is that is that a thing that happens to people <laughs> i mean it, it happens let me go sit next to this guy who in my the way I'm envisioning this person is like, let me go look and sit next to the equivalent of like a Japanese school shooter. Like this guy doesn't right. seem appealing at all. Well, you know what? He, he is younger than her. And I, I, I did, looking at this from a woman, from a feminist perspective, um, he's, he's a young boy, younger boy. So he's malleable, but he will also have like an instinct to like protect, let her know he's, he, he is beneath her in like strength and size and the social hierarchy where if he does anything, I, I think she could like manipulate him to keep her safe. Yeah. So she feels safe around him. I get that. I could get, I could see that. Yeah. Plus he's by himself and I don't exactly. Know, maybe, Although yeah. dude, I've seen some wild, t- I took a Greyhound bus to uh, Fort Myers florida when i was 21 because i'm afraid of fucking flying and i had a girl down there i like and i i learned so many things on that bus ride i learned anybody who came on if all they had with them was a ziploc bag they just got out of prison and they're going home i also saw this fucking like smooth middle-aged black guy talk there were these two french girls from nyu on the bus and this guy just like threw slang at them like a fucking water cannon until it wore them down and then like one of them got off the bus with him in dc oh shit and got like and he's literally like i'm i'm gonna i'm not gonna try to do an accent here but like you know damn baby you some (laughs) 
you a fine looking cut of something something let me tell you what it's just <laughs> like i i i do not speak english what and he just did that for enough hours that she just got off the bus with him and uh wow yeah. she was never heard from again because exactly. he, like, he fucking cut her into pieces there's gray greyhound is such a fucking hellhole i i insist everybody take a long greyhound trip at some point and pack a knife because it's bad yeah i also wonder if maybe there are some cultural um sort of things that i don't understand because it, for my impression as an american who's never been to japan is that they have much more of like a societal structure and uh, and sort of uh based around respect in a way that in america right. like it might be dangerous to get on a bus but in japan it seems like even like i feel like even the yakuza which is like the fucking mafia over there at least they have like they have like codes you know what i mean they're not right. just you know what i mean they're, they're not just gonna randomly get fucking killed maybe you will i don't know that's just my dumb impression but it seems like the culture over there uh would make such a such a social meeting uh maybe more safe yeah yeah maybe 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 uh, not though also because i know they have those separated uh subways because the dudes keep groping the chicks or whatever right isn't that right a thing? yeah no like they literally have an app on because again like even speaking out is seen as kind of like bad so they have an app that like girls can literally hold up that's just like you know, stop groping me and we'll make like loud noises. All right. So you know what? Forget everything I said. <laughs> no idea what I'm talking about. So anyway, so this super cute girl just asked Costco. She could sit down on the bus. She says that she believes that chance encounters are part of what gives life meaning. Uh, back on the bus, the girl falls asleep on Kafka's shoulder, glancing at her body. Kafka is very attracted to her until he suddenly wonders if this girl could be dun, 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 his long lost sister, older sister. Before he can think much further, he falls asleep. So that's it there. I feel like we talked plenty about that. So we can just roll in the next one. Another document on the rice bowl incident. Chapter four, Dr. Juichi Nakazawa, Naka, Naka, Nakazawa, who ran a clinic in a town near Rice Bowl Hill. Nakazawa was called to the scene where the child, children had collapsed and rushed there immediately. By the time he arrived, the children had already begun to recover. Couldn't determine what to cause. The, uh, he said the children had no memory of the incident. They all seemed to completely recover. However, one boy, an evacuee from Tokyo named Satoru Nagata, remained unconscious. Dr. Nakazawa warned by the, was warned by the police to never speak of this incident. Because So yeah, they mentioned this a few times where these interviews are taking place after the incident and after the war itself in like 1946. Mm -hmm. But the incident itself happened during the war, which leads yeah. to a lot of confusion like, did the Americans drop like some kind of gas or whatever, yeah. but that's kind of dismissed. Like any, any gas they would have dropped would do nothing. They would drop would lead to waking up and being fine. Yeah. So. It seems. Yeah. They kind of leave it ambiguous as to what actually happens. And I don't actually, I don't actually remember if they ever clarify. I, and, and that's the kind of, that that's sort of the thing that um, I will warn you about this book. And I, it's kind of, I think what a lot of the criticism that he gets is that um, if you're looking for, direct answers for any of these questions you should you should just stop doing that you're not going to get them it's it's mm -hmm. almost like um he's kind of like a japanese david lynch in that sense where it's like here's this awful wall fucking thing uh -huh. you make your own meeting out of it i'm not going to explain it to you you know what i mean mm -hmm. so okay. cool um okay chapter five Kafka introduces himself to the girl next to him who is named sakura uh, a different name he notes than his older sister she gives him her phone number and muses again that she believes all meetings are the result of fate. So yeah, I wanted to interject here. I have always had a thing I've liked. I tell my fiance about this. I like making like 30 second friends. Like you just meet out in the street, have a little conversation and then never see each other again. Mm. Do you I have like that too? Yeah. Do you have any, well, uh, I'll give a little one before I ask the question. I remember I was walking back from a party one night when I still lived in South Philly and a guy asked like, Hey, which way is such and such street? I'm here from out of town. I said, Oh, it's that way. Like the way I was already walking. And then we just walked and shot the shit for 10 minutes and then just separated again. Just never. I'll always remember the guy. I couldn't tell you the first thing about him and then just gone forever. Yeah, I had a similar situation with, like that when uh, back in the, I think it was like 2017 or, or maybe, I forget what year it was that Pokemon Go was really hot initially. Um, uh, I think, wait, no, I think that had to be- 2016? It had to be 2016, 2015, because I remember it came like right at the tail end of a job I was working at that time. Okay. Yeah, so the thing was, I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't really like that game for a while, but then um, uh, 
I started having these really long walks to work. It would take me about an hour to walk to work uh, mm-hmm. from where I lived at the time. But I liked the walk and I would like schedule out my time so that I would have that stretch to kind of get there. I ended up t- eventually taking the bus, which took 15 minutes. And I was like, what the fuck was I doing that for so long? But um, <laughs> but it was like 2018. And I was like, you know what? I'll just play this shit while I walk to work. I'll play this Pokemon Go thing. And this was at the point, I think, where people had kind of stopped playing it. But I remember I went, I was going home and there was like a gym by my house, uh, a Pokemon gym, not a real gym. God forbid I ever fucking go in a real gym. But um, and there was like some raid going on and there was just some random dude standing there. And I was like, are you doing this? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, cool. I've never done this with an actual person before. I've never actually the whole point of that app, I feel like, was supposed to encourage like uh, uh people to interact in the real world or with the real world you know what i mean and i had never done that we had a nice chat we talked for like five minutes he was like oh yeah i do this occasionally blah 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 and i was like yeah all right cool and uh that was it it was nice but i always remember that it's just like that was a really pleasant interaction that Hmm. it just i didn't need to talk to that guy ever again (laughs) yeah See, uh, I have another. So the the other question i was gonna have is just do you have any interesting stories of interactions with strangers while traveling and I had a cool one that I hope I see these guys again for a very specific reason. The brief time I lived out in San Francisco, uh, my buddy worked on the Hate Ashbury, and these two like weird Norwegian guys wandered in. It was just like, we're backpacking through America. Do you know cool place? These guys lived with us for a week, Steon and Gorm. And oh, it was shit. so much fucking fun, dude. You want to see something? We went to like a hip bar, like a, a hip hopping bar. And with like these two fucking skinny Norwegian guys, they were both wearing pleather jackets and had fucking neckerchief bandanas. And they just walk in and they're literally like moonwalking and doing like Michael Jackson dance moves. Like there's something about Northern Europe where like nothing is cheesy or fucking lame to them. They just think everything is awesome. <laughs> well, you know, I, I never had anything like that intricate, like, uh, but, but I remember um, I used to have a problem with, well, not a problem with flying, but um uh, I used to have a problem with travel. Travel used to like really, really fuck me up. Uh, I still have that. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I totally get it. Uh, um, but uh, I remember in 2014, I'd never left the country before, uh, but uh, my, my stepmom passed away. And so my dad was like, we're going to go on this like European thing uh, mm-hmm. because she, she was from England and France. So we're going to go spread her ashes. Uh, okay. But we also went to Scotland while we were there. And it, so the thing is, like, I never traveled as a kid, never took any vacations. Um, uh, my, my mom and my, I just, it just didn't happen. And I think that's why I had an issue with travel. Um, and so, like, I went to Disney World when I was, like, six, but I hadn't been on a plane since I was six. And now I was 23. And we were going on not just a plane ride, but, like, a transatlantic, a, a transatlantic plane ride. Yeah. And, um, and I got on and it was me and my dad and my brother and sister. And, um, they just happened to be seated in such a way that I was the only one in my row too, like of our group. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, you know, but I sat next to this guy, a Scottish kid who was like my age and I was talking to him and, and he was like, Oh yeah, I'm going home, blah, blah, blah. And I was telling him like, that's the first plane I've been on in like 20 or, you know, maybe almost 20 years. Uh, I don't, you know, I'm kind of nervous. I've never really gone to any of these places, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, don't worry, don't worry. And he was like being really nice. And then when the waitress came over, he was like, we'll do, uh, we'll do two shots and two beers or whatever, or not shots, obviously it's not a bar, but he like bought me some drinks and he was like, yeah, man, you'll be fine. And then we just like shat the shit about, uh, it was really cool. Cause when we went to Scotland, it was right after they had voted whether or not they were going to secede from uh, oh. the UK. Uh-huh. And uh, the vote was like, it was like 49 to 51. It was way closer <laughs> than anybody expected it. So I was like asking him questions about that. And he was like, you're not going to understand the dynamic because you're not from Scotland. And I was like, fair enough, but uh, explain it to me anyway. That kind of, yeah. Thing. Like give me the fucking gist. Like, I don't know what's going on. Little did that, that felt like a precursor almost to like a lot of the other like shit that we've seen since then, you know what Brexit, I mean? Brexit. Yeah. Brexit. And just the rise of uh, nationalism globally. Uh, Dude, it was but, such bullshit. Uh, when, when Brexit happened, I was in like a big, like uh thing on like the, 
the the Ireland, Northern Ireland IRA shit. Like I was reading a lot about the history. So I got stuck like, maybe we'll see a united Ireland from this. Like, what the fuck do I care? I've never been there, but. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, like we are, we are bum ass Americans, dude. We have to keep yeah. that in mind. <laughs> Just because my name is Seamus, I have no fucking, I have no claim to Ireland other than, you know. Yeah, well, I'm from Delco. The six counties need to come home. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Protestant, Protestant fucking asshole. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, okay. So Kafka checks into a local hotel and heads to the Kimura Memorial Library outside of town. There he meets Oshima, an extremely well-dressed, composed young librarian who tells him about the library's collections of classics and poetry. That afternoon, when Oshima realizes that Kafka has struck out on his own, he tells Kafka about the ancient theory that people were once composed of two halves split apart by God and are therefore destined to spend their lives searching for their missing other halves. Yeah, I don't know if anybody has ever seen this, but there is uh, the musical and also movie Hedwig and the Angry Inch has a song. Oh, yeah, I have seen that. Yeah, that, the song Origin of Love is entirely about that. It's uh, about finding... So the the... The connection they make in that is we're split. We're always looking for our other half. And what do we do when we find our half? We start fucking trying to put ourselves back together because God split us apart. Oh, you're not reacting because your food's here. Is your food here? Sorry. Yeah. Can I just give me one second? I'll be right back. Yeah, go for it. I'll make a mark. All right. Sorry about that, man. No, that's fine. You told me. Okay. So at 2 p.m., Kafka pauses from his book to take a tour of the library with Miss Psyche. An extremely elegant middle age. By the way, I'm going to mispronounce every name in this fucking book, and don't you dare <laughs> write me complaining. I'm doing my best. Uh, I think you're doing a pretty good job so far. Thank but, you, Seamus. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, an extremely elegant middle-aged woman who runs the library. Kafka is struck by her beauty and wonders if she could be his mother. At the end of the day, Kafka returns to the hotel and feels relieved that he has had a successful first day as a runaway. He falls into a dreamless sleep. Okay. Um, now shit gets interesting. Chapter six, the special man who talks to cats. Here More importantly, the cats talk back. The old man introduces himself as Nakata, which as you, uh, Nakata seems to be the one who passed out as a child who was in a coma for a while and was never normal again. Uh, so he asks, he asks if he can call the cat by the name Atsuka and the cat agrees. Nakata tells Atsuka that ever since an accident when he was young, he hasn't been able to read or write, although he gained the ability to speak to cats. Many people tell him he's dumb. He also lost all his memories in the accident and the ability to understand abstract concepts. He tells the cat he makes extra money by searching for lost house cats. Right now, he's on the search for a tortoise shell named Goma. Atsuka, unfortunately, hasn't come across Goma, but he wishes Nakata luck. He also observes that Nakata's shadow seems to be fainter than a normal shadow. So, if you had to get brain damaged, what special ability would you like to get? Oh, that's a really good question. I hadn't even thought of that. If I had, if I had to get brain damaged, if you had to, well, what like, do I lose? Do you know what I do? I lose reading and and uh, you uh, you you can't read, and it always feels like the wrong day of the week. Ooh, always feels like the wrong day of the week. Um. I don't know. I mean, I think I would like some form of intuition where it would kind of like, uh, like, Oh, I'm just always kind of in the right place at the right time. That sort of shit. That would be nice. Mm. Right. Right. Um, just like, well, Oh, I'm the 10,000th customer again. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, okay. I can't fend for myself, but maybe the universe can take care of me now. That sort of shit. Oh, just, like that. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I like the talking to cats though. <laughs> talking to cats is not a bad one. I would love the ability to talk with my, uh, well, particularly my pet rabbits, just cause like they're so not vocal in the first place that just, to, yeah, I, you know what? I think I would just like to talk to cats. I'm fine. Yeah. Not reading and having a thin shadow or whatever, which I'm very curious to see what comes of that. The fainter shadow. That I do not remember. That is sort of a, I'm blanking on that, to be honest with you. There is some wild shit that happens towards the end of the book where, well, you'll see. We'll get there. Okay, chapter seven. After consulting with the probably imaginary boy named Crow about the best course of action, Kafka bluffs his way into extending his student rate at the hotel without revealing he's a runaway. He goes to work out at the gym, which helps him feel more in control, and then heads to the library. Crow reminds him to be the toughest 15-year-old on the planet. Seamus, you're 15 years old and you're making a new life for yourself. Where do you go and what do you do at 15? Ooh, ooh, ooh. 
Huh, man, I don't even know. Cause I think at 15, I would have the, a lot of ideas about what is possible. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like I'd be like, Oh, I'll just move to a, I'll go, I'll get famous. So I'll do this or whatever. And it's like, meanwhile, you're going to work at a fucking dollar tree yeah. and you're going to fucking, <laughs> you're going to start doing drugs. Uh, I don't know, man. 15 I, is so I, 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 I would have, I would have definitely tried to be like a busker. I was playing guitar by then. I could, I could do something. It would be, I'm sure even, I'm sure even as the homeless runaway, I would probably be a snob. Like, I don't know why that guy gets all the fucking quarters. I mean, he's not even good. I'm, I'm actually good at guitar. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I had any like really, uh, profitable talents at 15. I don't know if I have them now. <laughs> Come see me at the punchline Philly. <laughs> hey man, don't beat yourself up. That, that fucking D and Tamara joke is a killer. <laughs> Thanks man. Yeah. I, I don't know what I would do at 15 if I ran away. I mean, that just seems like such a foreign. Well, well, no, 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 no. Like your, your dumb 15 year old idea. Like I'm, I'm trying, I'm sure there would be some like, I think this girl kind of likes me. Maybe I could live in her basement for a few days and then mm. she'll, then she'll realize huh, he's not that fat and ugly after all. And then it'll all work out. Mm. Yeah. I'm trying to think, I, I don't really remember. I'm trying to put myself in that headspace. Cause I remember when I was a kid, I did have a lot of really dumb ideas about how the world worked. Like, Oh, I'll just go. The I always wanted when I was a kid, I always wanted the world to be like, um, this is, fucking sad and weird but the goosebumps television show i always thought like up until the point where all the paranormal shit happens i was like man this is a great neighborhood to live in <laughs> right <laughs> right until fucking <laughs> the living doll comes to life and strangles mm -hmm. you i mean the, the suburbs were so idealized in my mind when i was a kid because i was like wow is there a place where people are just nice to each other you know especially tv suburbs like wishbone you ever watch wishbone yeah i was like oh i just want that i just want that i can i'll i'll get a job at a museum and i'll go back in time or some shit i don't know <laughs> i was really stupid <laughs> yeah you know i always felt that was one of the big misnomers about the suburbs versus the cities because i remember like when I first started, like my mom had a friend who lived in Philly in like old city. So we'd go visit them when I was like eight or nine. And I just thought like, everybody's friendly here and it's fucking cool. You can just talk to people. Meanwhile, like where I lived in this, my mom has lived in the same house for 30 fucking years. I know our neighbor next door, our neighbor across the street. And that's it. Like yeah. people don't associate with them, each other in the suburbs at all. If they can yeah. help it. Wow. Yeah. Well, there go my, there's my dream shattered. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll never have a fucking talking dog who teaches me about books. <laughs> that would, that's what I want. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, Kafka reveals to Oshima again, that's the kid who runs the library that he never plans to return to Homer school. Oshima is concerned that Kafka will not be able to take proper care of himself, but does not seem as if he will report Kafka to the authorities. For the next week, Kafka falls into a lonely, orderly routine, spending mornings in the gym, afternoons at the library, and evenings alone in his hotel. Already, this sounds like such a... I could not imagine living that boring life of just like... Yeah. Ugh. I, I always... I remember thinking that for like kids who cut school, where it's like, well, what, what, what can you do? You're a kid. There's nowhere you can go. They'll know you're there. Little did I realize they were getting really high and fingering each other. Again, <laughs> having dumb ideas how the world works. Yeah, you're just like, what are they doing? This the, the skate park's not open at this you time even, of day. You can't even get into the art. The arcade doesn't open till two. <laughs> yeah, they're just fucking fucking each other. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I, I'm really envious of like the deviant kids. I feel like the best thing you can do is if at like 12, 13, 14, you get like way into just like being an asshole kid and you fuck around, have a lot of sex. And then you like clean up by like 17. Oh yeah. And then you're like, oh yeah. And then I worked for vice for five years where I, exactly. you know I mean? like, you're like, yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like that's everyone I knew who like grew up in or around New York City. Like they all have fucking coke problems by their six, the yeah. time they're sixteen. Or you're like my buddy. Uh, I won't mention his name, uh, but I, there's this kid I grew up with, and then I I didn't see him until we went to high school together too. And then I saw him like two years after high school, and he looked like you know in a video game where you can make good or bad decisions and it affects your appearance. Yeah, it looked like he made all the evil decisions. He, can't, <laughs> he had like a fucking scar down his eye and like all these bumps on his face. I was like, God damn, dude. 
Uh, this dude, make a light choice once in a while. Make a fucking. <laughs> one, one of the quickest indicators of how bad is somebody doing is if they are under 18 and have a tattoos already. Yeah. Because that's either like, either they have an unscrupulous tattoo artist or like a friend or two of mine, their parents were just like, yeah, fuck it. Like at a tattoo party. Yeah. I don't give a shit about my child's life at all. Fuck it. That's really what the, that's what that message is. Sure. Yeah. Get some shit that you'll have for the rest of your life at fucking 14 or 15. Get a Papa Roach tattoo on your calf. <laughs> I actually don't give a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're never, they're, they're never, Papa Roach is never going away. <laughs> Parenting is my last resort. Um, right. <laughs> Chapter eight, another document, psychiatrist Shigenori Sukiyama. During the war, Dr. Sukiyama was ordered by the military to inspect the children in the rice bowl incident. Dr. Sukiyama concluded that all the children fell unconscious and lost their memories of the incident because of group hypnosis, but Nakata remained unconscious and it was unclear why. Though his body continued to function normally, it was as if his mind had gone elsewhere to wander, leaving his body behind like a fleshy container. Sukiyama said it reminded him of Japanese myths of spirit projection, in which the soul separates from a living body and wanders like a ghost. Despite the best efforts of the doctors, nothing could be done to wake Nakata from his coma until one day after weeks, he randomly woke up on his own. Physically, Nakata was fine, but his mind had been wiped clean. So, dude, I'm actually reading a different book right now, a nonfiction book called Shock Doctrine. That's uh Oh, I've heard of that. I, I have that, actually. I have never read it, but... It's a very quick way to make you hate America. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. The guy who gave that to me, who I thought was my friend, is now dating my ex and didn't tell me or text me. So guess what? You're never getting that book back, bitch. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's bad when the Americans economically invade Chile and Argentina, but then you physically, you know. Yeah. Meanwhile, you'll ex. just lay in the cut for like a decade. You fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! But so much in that book, they talk about the idea of shock therapy and the idea being like, you know we want to reduce the brain to like a blank slate and then rebuild it. Like you're getting rid of the good with the bad there. Like, can you think of anything else? Like, yeah, let's traumatize the shit out of this. And then it'll be a blank canvas and also yeah. still a canvas and not burnt to cinders is unusable. Yeah. I mean, people are fucking stupid. <laughs> people are fucking stupid and greedy. And they're like, I'll just do a horrible thing and see if it works out. Yep. See if I can get away with it. That really is what like, that really is what a lot. I feel like, uh, I don't know, man. I, I, I think I walk the line between America rah, rah, and this country is dead and never coming back. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like mm. depending on what day you catch me on, but like, I do <laughs> feel like America, uh, today is my negative day, I suppose, but it, it really is like the, the, the fucking thing about being Americans is see if you can fucking get away with it. <laughs> That's yeah. really what like, <laughs> I mean, it, it's just, it's just so much that bullshit of like not living up to your own ideals at all. Like, yeah, yeah it isn't like people are right now. They're straight up like, yeah, America is great amongst all of the countries because our, we have our constitution, which guarantees the freedom of speech and the freedom to vote. And also, you know what daddy did all day, tried to make sure people couldn't do either of those things. Anymore. Yeah. 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 Well, that's like, I feel like for me growing up like a lot of my patriotism this sounds so stupid but i'm sure there are other people like this a lot of my patriotism stemmed from hulk hogan as a kid yep. like that's yep. that's the america i want man i want the america that says its prayers doesn't eat its vitamins you know it's good to protect its neighbors and then the real america is terry balia who's like yep. fucking slamming his friend's wife and saying the <laughs> on the phone hey, the, the red white and blue is the most important but you know what's <laughs> propping up the red and blue the red and yellow also i really wish you'd stop fucking the black guys yeah, yeah. those are those are my prayers stick to your own kind <laughs> you know side note but that was pretty fucked up like can a man be racist in the comfort of his own best friend's <laughs> wife's bedroom <laughs> like what the fuck guys i don't know if you've ever fucked your best friend's wife <laughs> While the best friend watches in the security control room. But That's supposed to be a safe space. <laughs> exactly. Uh, dude, I, I, I tried putting a bit together. There's, um, you remember I dated that disabled girl for a while. Yeah. Uh, she had a friend who was like extremely disabled. Like Lily can't move anything. I feel horrible for the guy. Hilariously, once he found out I worked in the porn industry for a little bit, he only messages me to tell me about porn stars he is obsessing over at the moment. Oh, shit. 
but he posted on Facebook one day something like so and so is considering is accusing me of being a racist and I don't think that's fair. I'm actually doing the typing motion and he can't do that. It's like voice the text type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had the thought like, you know, this guy is in a wheelchair. He can't even breathe on his own. Like if he's racist, couldn't we just maybe let him be just racist? Just let him have that. Yeah, let him be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because what the f- he lost everything else. Yeah. What kind of porn is he like? Um, <laughs> he's pretty. He, he's pretty vanilla for what he likes. He, really? There, there's nothing too weird. I mean, if, if you can't even get that, I like the ones that move around. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I flat out told him because he, he was just saying like, "Man, I really need to get laid." It's just like, buddy, like if I lived close to you, I'd hook it. Don't you have an? Uncle? I'd suck your dick myself. You know what I mean? Like, I'd don't you have yeah. a seedy, seedy uncle that could make this happen for you? <laughs> yeah. Hasn't anybody come in and locked the door before? <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> Sorry, that's uh, hard. <laughs> no, sorry, no, that was all. That was all fun and hard. Um, <laughs> despite the fact, I, I am totally making a clip of that Hulk Hogan part. <laughs> despite the best efforts of the doctors, nothing could be. Do- oh yeah, I already read all that. Okay, chapter nine. Kafka. So this is where shit gets interesting. Kafka suddenly wakes up outside in a panic, realizing he has no memory of the last few hours. The front of his shirt is covered in blood, and it doesn't seem to be his own. In his head, Crow tells Kafka to calm down and plan his next steps. With effort, he sit, he calms down and calls Sakura, the girl from the bus, and then takes a cab to her apartment. Kafka and Sakura discuss a- a- again this oh the cute fucking girl you met on the bus who's going to give you a handy in a few chapters and also like oh you, you kid I met on the bus for several hours you woke up covered in blood come on over yeah yeah I don't know I don't know what the fucking logic is there but sure uh, she's, uh, she likes the kid apparently uh Kafka worried that he's committed a horrible crime while unconscious a crime he will be responsible for even if he can't remember it Sakura encourages him not to jump to conclusions. Kafka reluctantly reveals to Sakura that he ran away from home, and she tells him her own story of running away as a teenager. Kafka is comforted and glad that he has someone he can count on, but still feels like he can't tell her or anyone about the omen that drove him away from home, which still hasn't really come out. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything I woke up and something horrible had happened and I didn't know what was going on. I don't know. You have anything that pops into mind? Well, I, I will say not not that specifically, but I think the idea of um, uh, unintentionally committing a horrible crime is like one of my biggest fucking fears. I like ever mm-hmm. since uh, I can't do any true crime stuff because I did a serial and then I did uh, making a murderer and I was taking a fuck ton of Adderall at the time. And I remember I watched like all of making a murderer and then I went to sleep and I fucking woke up into a straight panic attack because I was just like, Oh my God. Like I could, and you know, maybe this, this shows how uh, naive and, you know, privileged perhaps whatever uh, I am, but I was like, Oh my God, you could just get arrested for not doing anything. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, freak. I like the idea of the idea of accidentally uh, you know, and I, I deal with a lot of like intrusive thoughts and anxiety and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the idea of like, losing your mind or doing something when you're not conscious of it Mm. is is a is a fucking nightmare that's so scary to me and i think that stems from me having like empathy in the sense that it's like i want to be in control so i can keep people safe you know what Mm -hmm. i mean Mm -hmm. but uh that like that that to me is a fucking nightmare yeah i don't oh god i don't have anything like that i do remember once I remember I had been having, so this was pretty trippy. I was like 10 years old. I had a dream that uh, Alfred Hitchcock was like chasing me, which oh, shit. as a very portly man, I, I, as a child, I should be able to get away from. But uh, I don't remember. It, it was like his TV show he had where he like walks into the silhouette. But I remember at the end of the dream, he threw a dart at me and hit me in the forehead. And then I woke up and I woke up on the floor, not in my bed. And my forehead was bleeding. And I was so like, what the fuck? Did I, Alfred Hitchcock really just like fucking hurt me? And is, is Alfred Hitchcock Freddy Krueger? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alfred? Oh, shit. Uh, I, I then surmised <laughs> like, oh, I think I roll out, rolled out of bed, hit my head on the corner of the nightstand, and then my brain just kind of like 
lash that together. Yeah, but it feels like it's happening in real time while your yes. brain is probably processing it in like milliseconds. Yeah. Yes. I had a dream last night. This is totally off the off the fucking beaten path here, but mm. I had a dream that I was on the Tom Segura podcast, Your Mom's House. Uh and it and and they fucking him and his wife, Christina P, they fucking hated me. They hated Ooh. me. But I remember it was such a lucid dream that I remember the whole conversation because it went on for an hour. And by the end of the hour, they liked me because they were just fucking with me. And I was just like being like, Yeah, I don't know. We're making it through this. You guys fucking can't stand me. <laughs> That's just like, yeah, go go check out your mom's house podcast. Let's let's give them a little bump. The, the yeah, give them a bump. Off. Yeah. <laughs> You know what's funny is I think I actually made an appearance on your mom's house podcast technically because you remember that thing how I technically got on Joe Rogan. Yeah, it's the porn thing, right? You're like in the background or something. Well, it's I fucking farted on a dude's face who was like way, way into fart fetishes. But we first found out about that guy because one of the people in our office listened to your mom's house podcast and they found the guy. He was the that was the first place we ever saw him. And then from there, they like sent it back to Tom Segura. And like this was like. This is like four months into comedy. And I remember we were like on the phone with Tom Segura. It was so fucking weird. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Chapter 10. Uh, By the way, if you want to look up, go look up Thursday Lane. It's fucking He's It's a guy who is very much into farts and uh, (laughs) like a, like a big sister on a bus. I once decided, you know what? Let me help the guy out. Um, (laughs) Okay. So Nakata is still looking for Goma the cat but he's talking to an equally simple-minded cat that he can't fully understand. I I really like how they did this here, actually. Like, oh, simple man, simple cat. Interesting. Uh, A refined Siamese cat named Mimi joins them and helps translate. In this way, Nakata learns that Goma was spotted in a grassy lot nearby, but Mimi warns a strange, dangerous man has been capturing cats from that area, so it may be unsafe. Undaunted, Nakata settles into a corner of the grassy lot to wait for Goma to reappear. As he waits, Nakata lets his mind wander, feeling as if he is standing on the edge of a great dark abyss. And that's the end of chapter 10, and the next one features an awesome hand job, but we're not getting into that. <laughs> Damn <day>. it! <laughs> Missing out on hand jobs. It's sixth grade all over again. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, again, uh, you asked me what I had thought up to this point. It's like, I don't know what's happening, but I'm definitely, like, I'm in. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I think you're gonna I think you're gonna actually if you've enjoyed how his I, I think obviously it's a translation but I, I I enjoy his writing style I think that um, as samey as a lot of his books I mean I've only read two but I, I, I might read another one next year I might do one a year but I'm not okay. I can't you can't read too many of these because they're all so similar and they have the same kind of vibe um, uh, they are enjoyable to read they're easy reads they're mm. interesting and the thing is like it, sure there's a lot of things that remain unresolved um and kind of hazy it's almost like dreamlike but Mm. uh it's very entertaining and there's some wild shit there's there's a couple you'll know exactly when you fucking get to that i want you to fucking text me there's a scene with cats that you'll know what i'm talking about and and there's also yeah there's some other crazy stuff i want to talk to you about this again okay okay i i am intrigued um all right, dude, I think that's it. Seamus, thanks again. Uh, remind us when we can see you coming up at Punchline and shit. Sure, thanks for having me. Um, uh, April 15th through the 17th, I am at Punchline Philadelphia. I'm opening for Vicky Barbalak. Come out, hang out, man. Uh, April 17th is actually, I'll be turning 30. So I'm going to be turning 30, Woo. doing stand-up. It's going to be fun. And then uh, April 18th, um, our our friend Jake Matera, local comedic hilarious guy very funny yeah very very funny guy uh he is doing his album recording which is very well deserved mm-hmm. um and uh he asked me to open for him so i'm going to be opening for that that's going to be a great show i don't know if he's announced the lineup for that but it is pretty fucking stacked um and i feel like i weaseled my way in <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah definitely come check that out and if you want to follow me on instagram it's shambles murph awesome all right shambles murph Seamus, got to end this like every other... Well, actually, we'll probably have you back for uh, the last episode then. If we I'd love that. Discussing. I'd love that. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Going to do what I always do. I'm going to stop recording, but you and I can talk for a second. Later. Cool.